This is the Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net and in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. Obtaining customer feedback. Obtaining usable feedback. Obtaining enough of it to be able to rationally modify court programs. All of these are major hurdles. And yet getting good customer feedback is so important. It's important to complete the loop, to plan, to act, to check results, and then to refine. And this effort has been made all the more complicated by COVID. The Grata Consulting, with the backing of the State Justice Institute, developed the Court Voices Project. It piloted 12 courts from around the country These courts collected real-time feedback from staff and court users about their pandemic experiences and their ideas. Some of the questions court voices tried to answer include, what percentage of court users preferred virtual hearings and why? Have court users found new communication channels like phone banks and online chat features to be more convenient and more accessible? And what ideas do line staff have for improving court practices? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. This month, we're looking at court customers and how we collect feedback from them. Some of the topics we'll explore include, how do we obtain more and better customer feedback? Why should court leaders focus on better ways to obtain it? What have courts been able to do with more enhanced feedback? And what advice do these panels have for the rest of us? I'm joined today by the Honorable Clemens Landau, judge with the Justice Court in Salt Lake City, Utah. The Honorable Timothy Coleman, judge with the Municipal Court in Toledo, Ohio. James Cho, the court administrator for the Municipal Court in Boulder, Colorado. Devon Kizik Kelly, deputy court administrator for the Municipal Court in Boulder, and Emily Lagrata with Lagrata Consulting. Thank you all for joining today's podcast. Emily Lagrata, how did you come to work on this topic of court user feedback? And why do you think that court leaders should invest in this strategy, particularly since it's in addition to all the other priorities that they have? So I've spent most of my legal career helping courts advance procedural justice or procedural fairness which of course is its own goal in the courts to advance trust and uh, confidence in our legal institutions. But it's also a maximizer of other things we're trying to do, right? It, we know that it boosts compliance and cooperation with other things that, that courts need to achieve. And so a challenge that we kept bumping up against among these courts that were excited about promoting this is they didn't have a good way of knowing whether they were getting better on it, right? Procedural justice is inherently measured by what court users think. What are their perceptions of uh, justice that they're experiencing in the courts? And so when I looked around um, and explored this with, with interested courts, the reality is that most court leaders had pretty insufficient or expensive or labor-intensive ways to get feedback. And so, so we went to off-the-shelf tools to see whether there was something we could import into our field to help courts do this. So we've been really fortunate with the support of SJI to launch these two uh, multi-court pilot sites that 
partnered with courts um, like those that are participating here today and giving us an opportunity to put those tools to work to not only assess fairness, but also to assess um, everybody's kind of topic of, of the past two years, which is how were we doing in the pandemic? And what are some practices that we should keep and which others need adaptation going forward? Now, good customer feedback is notoriously hard to get. Generally, people do not like responding to surveys. James Cho, I understand the focus points in your court were near the customer service window area and when leaving the courtroom. Tell us, how did your court collect that feedback? So we traditionally only collected feedback at the counter when a defendant wrapped up their case and we would hand them a questionnaire and said, ask politely, could you please fill this out? We value your opinion, right? So when we got involved with this program through Emily, uh, that was one of the things that I really appreciated, which was, yeah, we want to know how can we get a better response rate? Typically, people would grab the survey, but they don't, they're in a hurry to get out and they get nothing. And so we would get back very few responses. So once we started to engage in this program, Emily worked with us to say, well, where are the places where you can have these contact points, like when they're leaving the courtroom, does it have to be at the counter? Can you do it while they're in the courtroom as they're leaving? Um, so we asked the judge to ask people, you know, cajole them to take these surveys. We had the iPad stand and they would take a few. It still didn't increase it by a lot, but we would get a few more. I think certainly with Devon's help, as she's working with our operations staff to embed the link into the receipts, any of our emails, anytime we responded to somebody, we would ask them to fill it out. So it certainly increased our poor response rate from the past. Um, I don't know if it increased it by you know, 100, 200, 300%, much uh, more than that, but we definitely got a lot more than we ever got. Devon Kizik-Kelly, what were some of the challenges you encountered during the collection process? Well, one was trying to decide exactly where the best place for the iPad was. Um, we, we moved it around a few different times until we think that we found the sweet spot. It had to be um, easily accessible, easy for folks to see as they were going out of the courtroom, but in a place that was not disruptive to what was happening in the courtroom. So we finally found the sweet spot, but it did take us a little while to, you know, we moved it here and there and, and tried this and that. Getting folks to go and to do the survey was also, it took a little while encouraging the judges to say, hey, on your way out, would you mind filling out the survey? And that really started to increase our responses, the combination between the encouragement from the judge and then um, our settling on a, on a place where it, it was it basically just outside of the courtroom, but within the path that a person would have to walk to go to the counter. Did you receive any interesting write-in comments, James? I, I think when we were doing the responses, two things happened, right? One is there's stuff that we get back which says, oh, it's a confirmation of some of the stuff that we're doing well. Great, let's continue it. And other things that for me, I didn't even realize. Obviously, again, we went to a virtual world and I thought this is great. Why wouldn't anybody want to come to court virtually versus actually going through, again, as George Lundell alluded to, security, driving, taking their time out of the day and actually coming physically. And so my thought was, well, everybody wants to do this virtually. But some of the responses, and Emily pointed this out, even in some of the other courts was, no, there is a segment of the people who 
actually want to come to court. They want to talk to the prosecutors face to face. They want to see the judge. They think they're going to get uh, a better deal or just more human contact. And had I not gotten that response, I never would have thought that. I thought everybody would have just appreciated the convenience. So that was interesting. Uh, one that did come out as we went to more virtual, as we had some people in, in the court, some people virtually, one of the things that I never knew was the people who are on virtually couldn't see all of the courtroom. So they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know how many people were in the courtroom. They didn't know when they were going to get called versus when you're sitting in the courtroom, you kind of get an idea that he's this, there's 20 defendants, here's what's going on. And so one of the suggestions that uh, one of the defendants had was, in our responses was, as a virtual defendant, could we be given an update as to where our case is or how many people? So we asked the judge, yeah, could we just say, you know, kind of like what they do at some places, like, you know, here's the next five people that are going to be called or mm -hmm. uh, the host chat somebody and say, you know, you're about 30 minutes away. At least it gives them a little bit of reassurance. That, oh, OK, things aren't moving along. They haven't forgotten about me or, you know, where am I? Judge Landau. One of the primary reasons to obtain customer feedback is to refine existing programs. Tell us what changes to programs in your court you've been able to make based on the feedback you've received. What's been great about the pandemic, and there's not a lot, but one of the things that's been great about the pandemic is we have better lines of communications with the end users of our products. So whereas three years ago, no one would ever, after waiting for three hours in my courtroom for a quick hearing just to learn something procedural has happened and they need another hearing in six weeks, they would rarely say, you know what, Judge, here's what I think of what I had to do here today. Let me give you a rating on a one to 10, whether I enjoyed coming here for three hours just to learn after three hours, after I fed the meter three times, that my case is being continued. Here's what I think about that. Um, no one ever did that. They, you could see that they were frustrated, but they said, okay, you're up there on a bench. I'm here. I know my place. I'm leaving. I'm keeping my mouth shut. On WebEx, which is the platform that the state of Utah uses, much to some judges' chagrin, I don't mind it too much. We get an earful whenever something goes wrong. So there's a much more natural feedback mechanism that we have now because people aren't intimidated by us anymore. And they say, that guy's uh, on the other side of the city sitting at his office. He can't do anything to me. I'm going to tell him what I really think. And, you know, that can sometimes disrupt port, but it's also helpful because we can say, okay, you know what? He's got a point or she's got a point and we've got to bake that feedback in. In addition, I think because of the pandemic, we have rolled out a lot of programs. One of the things that we do is we let people book their own arraignments and we wanted to make sure to refine that. So the one way you can do that is to ask people, hey, how'd that go for you? And it's relatively straightforward. Ms. LaGrada knows some of this, like we got the National Center for State Courts involved and we're able to do quick surveys about some of these things that we're doing, both for end users, but also for jurors and for attorneys to see what can we refine about this. And, um, and we've gotten a lot of helpful feedback and it's led to us making adjustments to these various things so we can make them better. And so it, it's been a really useful tool. And I think the only unfortunate thing is we're getting into this game right when everyone's getting sick of filling out questionnaires. So we do have to come up with strategies to get people to actually click on these things and fill them out because that's really hard to do. What's been your experience with virtual hearings? I know that there are some days where I personally 
miss the decorum of the courtroom, of the in-person courtroom. And I've certainly talked to judges that have just about had it because they can't control the space the way they can control the in-person space. And so you've got all these micro decisions to make. Oh, I can see you're here smoking a cigarette with your shirt off in bed. Are we going to just go forward or I'm going to, am I going to try to give you a speech about that? You don't speak English. I got to give the speech through an interpreter. I'm going to waste a lot of time. If I do the speech, I kind of miss having a little bit of respect, but let's go on anyway, because we want to get the case heard. I think three months into the pandemic, one of my JAs after court, she just said, judge, do you miss getting any respect from people when they come through this um, medium. And I said, you know, I kind of do personally, but at the end of the day, we're, we're getting people what they need and they're telling us what they really think. And that often is step one to making the system work better. And so I personally think on balance, that's great. Yell at me a little bit. If it gets offensive, I can always mute you, which is not an option I had previously. And um, and then we'll get through it and we'll we'll say, okay, that guy. Often it's, you know, and I'm at I'm so thrilled that there are other municipal court court judges. A lot of our work, we have a strong overlap with mental illness and substance abuse and other problems. And so sometimes people are just revealing who they really are and they can't help it. And at the end of the day, we're all invested in them and we want to get them back on their feet. So it's not a big problem to me if someone, if I just know, okay, um, if you were better at making decisions, you'd probably know not to present yourself like this and yell at me like this. But this is good. This is good data for my public defender. They'll get a sense of where you're at because you're being you. And um, and then we can figure out what you need and maybe get you back on your feet. So I think it's even that's helpful, even though it's extremely awkward and it slows everything down. And you personally have to swallow some lumps because you have to just take a little bit more abuse than you otherwise would. But that's OK. We're going to break away for just a minute and hear from Greg Lambard on NACOM's latest court guide on behavioral health. Hello, I'm Greg Lambard, chair of the NACOM Communications Committee. One of our committee tasks is to produce court guides. I wanted to take this opportunity to bring your attention to our most recent guide, the 2022 Behavioral Health Guide. I think you'll find this a useful primer on the subject. There is an assessment of the issues and concerns in this area a listing of the various kinds of collaborative responses, techniques, and programs in this area, a discussion of the types of training that are available for judges, court staff, and system partners, and a thorough listing of resources and organizations that are part of this work. The guide is available on the NACOM website, nacomnet.org, free of charge to NACOM members, and only $10 for non-members. Please take a moment to check out the guide. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. And now let's return to our panel discussion. Judge Coleman, your court collected feedback from over 1,700 court users. How did it feel having court users providing feedback on their specific experience in your courtroom? First of all, it's scary. You don't know what these people are going to say, but you know, some of it isn't going to be pretty. That's just a fact. Courts are challenging places to be in. Uh, people are typically not in there best space personally when they show up to court, and that would be whether they're a victim or a defendant. It doesn't matter really which side you're on. And so when you go to the public and ask for feedback, you're opening yourself up. You really are. And you have to sell that to people sometimes. So one of the ways that we sold that was we were asking for general feedback, not specific feedback for judges. Another way we did that is I went first. 
people saw that uh, although there was some negative feedback, it wasn't anything that wound up on the front page of the paper or kept me from getting reelected or anything. Mm -hmm. So when you ask for feedback, you need to have an open mind. You have to have a discerning mind, uh, but you also have to have a little bit of a thick skin to be prepared for what you're going to hear with this feedback. And when I say discerning mind, we had 1,700 people respond. And a lot of it was thumbs up, thumbs down. And then we had the free text and not everybody did that. But sometimes the free text is a uh, somebody who's out in left field. So by that, I don't, I don't mean anything disparaging about the person. But when I say in left field about their opinion about the operation of the court. So if one person has this idea that's way out there, we can't be changing our policies and procedures based on that. And that's why I say a discerning mind. So you have to look at the comments collectively. We were careful about where we put our, uh, we used iPads. And so we were careful about where we put the iPads and put them in very specific places that would be tailored to who was going to be responding. And then we could figure out where they were and, and you know, which courtroom, what time of day, that sort of thing. And then use a discerning mind to figure out what are we going to do with that information and try to figure out, okay, what, what of these comments represent the general population? What is just one person who had one particular opinion? And uh, so we, uh, we, we used it that way to try to figure out what was worthwhile to act on and perhaps what wasn't. Now, some courts, for example, the Franklin County, Ohio Municipal Court's housing calendar, have started providing expanded social services, such as help with housing, food, and employment counseling. Has user feedback from your court helped inform other agencies of what court users want and need? Judge Coleman? Yeah, so that's one of the, what I was talking about, where we put the iPads. So we put one of our iPads right outside a victim advocate hallway. And we set up our victim advocate room so it's off the beaten path and around the corner and down a little hallway. So when we put that iPad there, probably nobody's going to be responding to that one except for people coming out of the victim advocate room. And we were able, and we did that with their consent and they had input on what specific questions were going to be asked for the thumbs up, thumbs down. And then we provided that information to them and it was very helpful to them to work on what they were doing specifically. We have a uh, court security entrance, as I assume all other courts do. And so there was a, an iPad that was near that. So it was people just coming in. And that gave some pretty interesting feedback to our deputies and the people who run the front end. If the people are already mad walking in the door because of what it took to get into the door, it's going to be tough for any of us to leave the impression that we've done justice. And so that was very helpful feedback to the people at the front door and, and pretty specific. Now, some of the comments were, let's say, unfair. People felt like their privacy was violated. Well, I don't know. We're, I, I think I agree with them on that, but we have to protect <laughs> all of the public that's coming in. Yeah. Uh, so, so it did give good feedback for that group of people. So by placing the iPads in certain places and tailoring questions, we are going to be able to do a better 
uh, a better job. We're going to uh, be able to focus on public defenders. Uh, hopefully the prosecutors can be talked into getting involved in this and, and give feedback to them as well. Judge Landau? The, the thought I had listening was just that it's so critical. You know, if you place the iPads around your courthouse, you get feedback from in-person users, right? You're going to have a set of feedback there. And if I send, like for a while, I just had a link in my background and I would put in the chat, like after your hearing's done, just go to this link and fill out this form. And so then I'm going to collect uh, feedback from people that are sophisticated enough to do that. In the background here, these are our booths at the courthouse. The folks that come to these are predominantly struggling with homelessness. They're not going to do any of this feedback, but their feedback is just as valuable. And so you do have to have a strategy for being really aware of what slice am I getting feedback from and um, and then kind of bake that into how you assess it, because otherwise you're just going to say, well, you know, we asked the 10 people that came to court, whether they like coming to court, lo and behold, they like coming to court. So let's make all the other people come to court, too. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So you have to really balance it. And I think once you get in the habit of getting feedback and this goes to your point, uh, Peter, about other services, you can really tune into your folks and figure out what they actually need. And then you can try to connect them with those services. There's um, there's kind of a new re-entry center at the jail that has social workers. And I usually put the picture in my backdrop and just say, this is a place where you can connect to services. You've handled your case with me. I'm releasing you as you leave the jail today. Stop by here. Here are some social workers from our public defender's office and from probation. They can do anything from you know charging your phone to getting you all these dates. And we need to do the same thing. So for the in-person folks that we serve, let's get them connected to the things they need. It's so easy now. For example, setting up probation. Used to be that in arraignments, I'd say, look, I'm going to have you on supervised probation. I'm going to get you a referral, open it up, call uh, CJN, which is our probation provider, or go there. Um, now I can just say I have someone in the meeting. Let me just alert them to the fact that I have to set this up. And I put you in a breakout and you set up your supervised probation literally 30 seconds after I'm done with you. It keeps you in the loop. And I don't think we would be doing that if we hadn't started by asking for feedback because it just trains your brain to say, is there a, is there a better way that we can make sure that we don't just have to call this case in 60 days because you haven't done it and now we have an order to show cause hearing we have to hear. If we do it better on the front end because we're listening, then we actually uh, you know, unburden ourselves from some of our downstream work, which is great because we're all really busy uh, lower courts. One of the really neat strategies that a couple of the pilot courts took is using questions to explore what alternative service options the court could provide. So we asked in-person court users, would you have rather handled your court matter differently, right? Kind of prompting this question of, would you have rather done this remotely? And so we had a couple of courts that had in those multiple choice answers, offerings that they didn't yet provide. And sure enough, in both of those courts, the top response from court users of their preferred alternative was one that the court doesn't provide yet. So it really is valuable feedback. You know, if the court is looking to make this leap or this investment in a new, you know, pathway for court users, this gives them some pretty, you know, relevant intel about what might be worth that investment. Finally, what advice do you have for those tuning into today's episode? Judge Landau? Um, just to persevere with this um, mode of travel, because it does take a little bit of an adjustment of mentality at first, um, but it's worth it. Uh, and 
and then just try to, we all have pretty strong opinions about how um, we're doing it exactly the way it should be done because this is how we've done it forever. And to just kind of loosen your grip on that view and see if there isn't some better way that you can all um, bring everyone to the table and have a better system. Um, I think that's the most important thing. And then just, you know, it, it doesn't have to take a lot of effort, but it's really meaningful when it comes from the judges. So I remember when we first started this project, um, again, at the end of every week, I would just send, I think, the, the survey that we had just to every email that I had invited that week to virtual court, which was easy to do because I had all those emails already. And then it came as a personal email. Hey, this is Judge Landau. We're in the midst of a pandemic. We're really struggling figuring out how to do this better. And if you would take the time to do this, it would really help us out. And having that personalized touch, I think really just got a lot of people to respond to say, oh yeah my view is really needed here and that's hard to do but at the end of the day it's not that hard you just have to send one more email and that um it's really satisfying when you then start getting that feedback because more often than not even though it's scary more often than not this feedback is excellent and they say a lot of people come in they say look judge i know this wasn't my finest hour i want to take this deal i want to tell you how sorry i am about it and i'm going to tell you that i'm never going to see you again and <laughs> those are the kind of people that um generally say gosh, you guys did a great job today. I was able to, um, I was on the job. I took my hard hat off. I had a 15 minute break. I took care of the case virtually. I didn't have to take the day off. My family gets the benefit of me not having to take a day off. And I'm really grateful for that. And I know what happened on the day in question. And I'm really grateful that I was, was able to take this offer and that I'm now able to get back to work. And so, uh, you know, people, we've got some glowing reviews and I'm like, this is great. We wouldn't have heard this otherwise. Judge Coleman. So I'm going to loop this back a little bit to what uh, Emily said in the first place, which is how I first met Emily was uh, through procedural fairness. And she helped us set up a procedural fairness training program in our courthouse. So uh, my advice is to keep in mind that how people respond to feedback has everything to do with the culture that they're in. So our court culture really determines how people respond to feedback, whether they're open to it and then also how they respond to it. So we have uh, trained everybody in our courthouse, including um, all the, not just the judges division, but all of the prosecutors, all the public defenders, a lot of the uh, defense attorneys, victim advocates, we've trained them all in procedural fairness. So the main tenets of procedural fairness are neutrality, respect and trust, right? I mean, um, and voice. So voice is the feedback. And so if we have a culture in our courthouse where people really value voice and really give others an opportunity to be heard and then actually listen to that, then having this feedback and making that valuable and using it to make decisions about how to operate the courthouse uh, will really work well. So when we did procedural fairness, there were some people who did not want to be there and they sat there like this and they gave me their feedback. None of those people are willing to look at any of the feedback we got from any of these iPads and that's their culture. Now we understand that and we can work around that. So that gives us an idea of what can we successfully implement as far as a change based on the feedback we got. 
I know who sat there in procedural fairness like this with a scowl on their face. And I know that I'm wasting my time trying to use this feedback to change them. So we change around them. Uh, and the, understanding that the culture affects how people are going to accept feedback and what you can do that, I think is very important. James? Yes, I think exactly what the judge has already talked about is great. But I guess my first advice for anybody who wants to start initiating or engaging in this work is to contact the LaGrada Consulting Group. Um, I, I, I know that had Emily and the consulting group not reached out to us or at least solicited us, I don't know that Devon, myself, and the judges as a management team would have actually put much more thought into this. Obviously, like all the other courts, we were switching just to respond to the pandemic, how we did business. But I think I still would have thought, well, people like um, the judge alluded to earlier are just survey fatigued, right? So like they just don't want to answer our surveys because they're just tired of answering surveys versus what could we have done better to get a better response, right? And I think Emily and Emily's group really helped us uh, figure that out. And even uh, just what Judge Coleman just talked about, like strategy as to where you place stuff and who are you going to do the surveys for and all that. And, I think um, Devon and I specifically, because we are a small tenant in the larger justice center, we strategize and say, well, we don't want to put it near security or we don't want to put it just somewhere outside the building. There's going to be more traffic, albeit, but we don't want a bunch of people coming in here and confusing us with the rest of the justice center and everybody else that they're doing. So we contained it to really just the proximity where we are. So, and maybe now looking at it, listening to Judge Cole, maybe we should have done it. Maybe we should have gotten more. And we could have said, here's the responses that are pertaining to us. And maybe here's some stuff for security or the DA's office and um, maybe share it with them. So maybe we could have uh, been a voice for them as well. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, before I get off, I just want to let uh, Emily know we really appreciate all the work that she did. Um, because I, again, I don't know that we would have had the foresight to say, hey, we need to collect some of this stuff because we're changing the way justice is delivered. Devon? So first, I completely and totally agree with James as, as far as um, Emily and the assistance that she gave us. It wasn't just the um, just just this ability to collect the data, but it was also um, <clears throat> the fact that she had this expertise in how to ask a question to, to solicit the answer that you're really trying to get. Um, I think in our attempts in the past, we lacked that expertise. We did the best we could as lay people, but having someone who had a deeper understanding of um, research really benefited us. Um, as far as advice for folks, I would say like, don't be afraid of feedback. You're gonna get some negative things, but you can use those negative things to turn them into positives for your court. You're also gonna get some positive things that are gonna make you feel good about your job and what you do. You can share those with staff so that they can continue to feel part of the mission um, and, and really understand the impact that they're having in, in people's lives. I mean, I think as everyone has said, working for the court can be hard. Not everyone's thrilled to be here. So when we do get that positive feedback or someone says, you really helped me with this, or you know, you made a difference in my life today, and we can pass that on to staff, that helps us keep everyone lifted up with our eye on the mission. And the negative feedback we use to improve our process. You don't take it personally or say, oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about 
about. It, it, it's a way to try to understand what is it that we're not doing right? How did we, what was it about this particular situation that didn't sa satisfy this customer? And is there anything that we can do about it? There very well may not be anything that we can do to change that situation, um, but at least acknowledging that that is an issue that, that some people have or a problem, I think is a benefit so that we can then, you know, approach them or explain to them why, you know, this is something that can't be changed. Emily? Yeah, I think my advice would be to just start small. Um, I think technology solutions make that pretty easy to do. It doesn't have to be this massive effort where you're, you know, making 5,000 photocopies of something and figuring out how to distribute it. Um, it can be as easy as embedding a link or, or putting up one of these iPad stands, you know, in just one spot. Uh, and think about what, you know, a, a couple of questions you might want to ask. You don't have to, to try to, you know, boil the whole ocean, just, um, just start somewhere. And to Devon's point, you know, you, you have to be brave, but I can tell you that in all the studies that have been done on, you know, the public's perceptions of the courts and specific court users' perceptions of the courts, the majority of people rate the courts favorably, which is maybe amazing, right? It dispels this myth that, um, just because they're maybe not wanting to be in court that day that they can't assess the experience they're having. Uh, and so I think, um, you know, that bravery, I hope, will be rewarded by seeing that the, most of the feedback you get really will be positive um, or at least constructive. So I hope that's a, a, a reinforcement that you'll get right away. Uh, and last but not least, I would just remind people that even with low response rates, if you make that invitation for feedback really visible, you are giving people voice, right? You are showing that the court values their input, values their opinion. Um, the court's interested in making this a better experience for, for everyone. So even just that message alone, um, you're working to boost trust and confidence in your courts. So that's a bonus. I want to thank Judge Clemens Landau, Judge Tim Coleman, James Cho, Devon Kizik-Kelly, and Emily Legrata for joining us today and sharing their experiences on obtaining customer and staff feedback. We know how difficult it is to collect, but how vital it is for keeping court programs fresh and relevant. As always, my thanks to you court professionals tuning into today's episode. You are on the front line in the quest to obtain good court user feedback. It is your work at gathering this important data and sharing it with decision makers that allows court programs to grow and adjust to changing times. Thank you. Join us on Tuesday, October 18th, for another episode dealing with the issues facing our courts. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leaders Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on YouTube, on Facebook, on iTunes, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Become part of the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakemnet.org. Did you hear an interesting comment by one of the panelists that you would like to listen to again, but you don't want to search through the entire episode to find it? The additional resources section of the webpage contains a question time marker sheet 
Just find the discussion question on the sheet, and next to it is the time that question was asked. You can then quickly fast forward to that time in the episode and listen to the panelists' comments. Remember, if you don't have time to watch an episode, you can always listen to the audio version. Listen in your car or on the bus on your way to or from work. You never have to miss an episode. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, thank you, and have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management.